0: taking their lives for that reason. We're going to talk a little bit more about that this morning. So Peter is writing to a group of Christians kind of scattered in the area and saying, let me tell you something, guys, hang in there, it's worth it, don't give up, you keep following Christ no matter what. So this morning we're in 1 Peter chapter 4 and here's what he says, Uh, oh no, okay, okay, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you might be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. But if you suffer... It should not be as a murderer, or a thief, or any kind of criminal, or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name, for it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who don't obey the gospel of God? And, and this is a quote from the book of Proverbs, if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do, the last word is good. We're going to walk through it kind of verse by verse and and try to see what God has for us in this passage, but there's a lot to learn. Notice what he says right off the bat. He says, dear friends, so he's talking to these people as, as people that he values, he says, be, dear friends, don't be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering. Some of your versions have the word fiery trial. Uh, there is some debate among Bible commentaries, commentators as far as the meaning goes of that. Some say it's literal. Some say it's more um, a refining process. Remember I told you that many of these people had lived underneath Nero. And if you know the story of Nero, Nero ultimately wanted to enlarge his palace, so he set, it's believed that he set fire to Rome. When he set fire and burned a good section of Rome, the blame shifted to him. He needed to shift the blame to somebody else. So Nero published abroad that it was Christians who set the fire. So it turned in the Roman Empire a large group of people against Christians. Nero then basically took on a vendetta against believers. And some historical accounts say that what he would do during his reign is he would take Christian people, he would tie them to a pole, he would then pour tar or or pitch on their body. He would then light them on fire, he would use them as lamp posts in the garden, and as a reminder and a, a testimony to everybody that... This is what happens to people who mess with Rome. So some people believe that when Peter here says it's a fiery trial, it's literal reference to that which was happening. Um, I'm not sure about that. I I think because of the context, it goes a little bit farther. I think it's the idea that in, 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 in refining gold or refining silver, they heat fire to it. A dross forms on top, they skin the top off, and they continue to do that until there's no more dross. And, and the idea is that that's how the, the gold, the silver, whatever it is, becomes pure. And so I think what Peter is saying here is this. When difficulties come, when suffering comes, when troubles come in your life, it's a fiery trial, and what God is doing is skimming off the stuff that doesn't belong in your life. It's causing you to refocus your, 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 your difficulty. And if you'll think about it for a minute, is that not the time at which you become incredibly close to God? Um, it's, that, it's that refining kind of idea. And I think what Peter is trying to tell these people is, look... Don't think that it's strange or unusual when difficulties come into your life as a Christian. In fact, look at what he goes on to say. He said, don't act as if something strange is happening. Like, oh no, how dare this happen to me? I'm, I'm trying to do right. Notice what he says. He said, but, what's the next word? Rejoice. Okay, now, do you have a hard time with that? Because I got news for you. When difficulty comes in my life, the first thing, my, pr- my first prayer is not, oh God, I'm so happy about this and so excited. Thank you, God. No, what's our first response most of the time? Why? And what Peter says is rejoice in that you participate in the sufferings of Christ. Here's what he's saying. Because throughout this passage, he keeps going back to Christ, and you're going to see this. Because that's what Peter said. You call yourself a Christian, Christ suffered, we suffer. That's part of it. But notice what he says right here. He says, you participate in the sufferings of Christ. You see, here's the idea. If I'm suffering or going through hardship, people are, I might lose my life because I call myself a Christian. Who, are they, who do they really have the problem with? Me? No, who? God, Christ. And I am suffering because of my association with him. You get that? And what he says is, what that means is, the world is realizing that you're associated with Christ. And Christ is associated with you. Rejoice in that. Let me me say it to you this way. And those of you who are moms, you will get this. You ever had your kids sick? What does a sick kid do when they are really, really sick? What do they want to do, Mom? Huh? Cling to you. you. And Mom, what do you want more than anything else for that child? For them to get better, right? Your heart goes out. You would rather you were sick than they were sick, right? And then when they get better, they're not clinging anymore, are they? So are you ready for this? You never wish that your child was sick. But, you sure enjoy the clinging, don't you? That's what Peter is saying. Peter is saying, when we go through hard times, you know what we do? We run and we cling to God because we need Him so much to help us get through it. And God takes great delight in our clinging. Not in our suffering or our difficulty, but in our clinging. And as much as you want your kid to get better, you have to be honest, Mom. You kind of like that clinging to you. That cuddling. Uh, At the conference, one of the guys said, you know, that's the difference between mom and dad. Mm -hmm. Dad gets sick. Does anybody in the house really care? But let mom get sick, and the whole world comes tumbling down. He's like, mom's sick, what are we going to do? You know, dad's sick. Nobody, you know, it's like, oh, dad's sick. Leave him alone, he's grouchy. Uh, mom's sick, and he's like, oh, no, who's going to do this and this and this and this and this? You know, it's a difference between mom and dad. But here's what he says. He says, but rejoice in that you participate in the suffering of Christ. Because really, their, their, their issue is with Christ, not with you, and what Christ represents. And so as you cling to him, it's really drawing you close to Christ. And that's a good thing, is what Peter is saying. And then Peter takes it one step further. And you see what he says? So that you may be overjoyed with his glory, which is revealed. A Jewish commentator said this about this passage. He said the word glory there is a reference for the Shekinah glory. The Shekinah glory was the glory of God that rested over the ark, or that rested over the tabernacle when Israel was in the wilderness. And what he says is, when you're going through those times, it's as if God then hovers over you like he hovered over the ark. And the Spirit of God during those times is incredibly present and overwhelming to you. you. You who have been through really difficult lives, you know what I'm talking about. You can't explain it. But in a time when your life should be upside down, there is this overwhelming power and presence of God, and you only experience it in those kinds of times. And Peter says, look, during those times, you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. You couldn't do it within yourself, and you don't even know how to explain it to people afterwards. When they go, I don't understand how come you're so strong through this. It's like, it's not me. Why? Because God's glory has overshadowed you during that difficult time. That's what Peter says. When you're going through that, look, rejoice, because that's what's happening. And then notice what he goes on to say. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed. Because the Spirit of God and the glory of God rests on you. That's that Shekinah glory kind of idea. And then notice what he goes on to say. But if you suffer... It should not be as a murderer, a thief, or any kind of criminal, or even as a meddler. It seems like it's odd that he throws that in there, but here's what he's saying. Some Christians, here's what was happening. Rome was coming in, or, or an authority was coming in and wanting to take their stuff. And they were going, okay, you can take my stuff. And then they would go, and they would steal stuff to replace their stuff. Or somebody would come in and threaten their life and they would take their life to defend their life for their rights. Remember, Peter has spent a lot of time dealing about our rights and that the focus should be the glory of God. And what Peter says here is, look, if they are persecuting you because you have asserted your rights and you've stolen stuff or you've murdered somebody, and it's interesting, he adds meddler in there. It's a gossip. It's a busybody. I mean, you know, well, murderer and gossip, they're not the same Yes, they are. You know why? You know what a gossip does? It steals and robs and destroys other people's reputations. It's the same principle. It's just not physical. It's verbal. And he says, don't you be a part of that. Don't you allow yourself to be a part of that. And, and he says, if you're being criticized for that, then you know what? You deserve to suffer for that you deserve to suffer for being that kind of person the only accusation they should be able to make against you is that you're a follower of jesus christ and he throws that out there and he says however now this is very important verse 16 if you suffer as a what's the word do you know the word christian is only used three times in the new testament and this is one of them it's used in Acts the first time they're called Christians. use used one other time than used in this passage. And he says, but if you suffer as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, as a disciple, as a little Christ, notice what he says. Do not be ashamed. But praise God that you bear that name. You need to understand that in this culture, one of the things that would happen is, in the Roman culture, in the Roman world, Caesar was God. And one of the things that Rome didn't tolerate was people who tried to assert themselves as rulers or kings over Caesar. So one of the things that they would do is they would require people to say, what they would do is they would go into a town, they would set up an altar, people would walk in, they would take a little incense, they would sprinkle it on the altar, they would walk over in front of whoever it was and they would say, ooh, that was close. Yeah, no, it's okay. And they would say, Caesar is lord and then in some cases they would sign a little piece of paper give it to him and the person would go on so think about this this morning all right you get ready to come into church and the united states government we've got a bunch of police officers out there we've got a bunch of people standing up and they say here's what we want you to do we want you to sign your name right here and we want you to acknowledge that the united states government is the supreme authority in your life Now, what are you going to do? As a Christian, can you do that? Because that's the dilemma these people were up against. And so what would happen is you'd have all your friends in, all, in your little city and your little circle and everything else, and then they would come rolling into town, and it was that time of the year when they would set up their little altar, and you would go in, and they would take a census. and they'd go, hey, so-and-so's down here. Hey, go get Joe down the street. And Joe and his family would come marching out, and they say, hey, look, we noticed you didn't, uh, you didn't go through the little deal here, so your turn. And he says, not doing it. And your friends are going, look, it's no big deal, man. Nobody cares. Nobody, they're going to they're leave tomorrow. It's going to be over. Sprinkle some stuff. Say a bunch of words. and move on. It's no big deal. And they go, no, I'm not going to do it. Because I believe that Christ is Lord, Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. So at some points they would arrest them. Some points they would prosecute them. Some points they would take them to arena. At the very least, they would would make sure that the community knew they were a marked person. Many times it would cost them their business. People would stop doing business with them. Because if you did business with them, you were associated with them. So it started to cost them to call themselves a Christian. And Peter says, look, when that happens, don't, don't hang your head in shame. There's nothing to be ashamed of to call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ. Don't be ashamed of it. And then he what he goes on to say. He says, but praise God that you bear that name. And then he says, it's time to begin for judgment to begin with the family of God. If it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Here's what he's saying. He's saying, look, one of the reasons we suffer in the world is because of sin, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes I suffer and I have hardship in my life because of my sin, because I make poor choices. Sometimes I suffer in my life because of somebody else's sin. They make poor choices. Those of you who have kids who have broken your heart know exactly what I'm talking about. Those of you who have family members who have done something to hurt your family name, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It hurts you. It affects you. It impacts you. Their sin impacts you. When you get ready, you know, spring is right around the corner. Can't wait. But you know what the one thing I can't wait for is? You know what also comes with all the beautiful plants and flowers? What? Weeds. Do you know why? Do you know why Roundup exists? (coughs) Because of sin. Do you know why you have to till the ground and it turns hard? Because of sin. So next time you're in the garden working, you can be mad at Satan and sin because that's the only reason you're there that way. In the beginning, it was not like that. But sin marred this earth. And here's what he said. Because of that, even as a believer and a follower of Christ, I end up being impacted by God judging sin. Every day. When, when, when I sin as a follower as a child of God, God has to deal with me. Right? And here's what here's what Peter argues. Now listen to this, because this is this is to think this thing through. If judgment, not punishment, but judgment, begins with the house, the family of God. If God has to judge sin in our lives and on this earth now. What kind of judgment will he give to those who reject him? But God's a loving God. Yes, but God is also a God of judgment. And here's Peter's argument. If God is judging sin in our lives now, if God is judging the earth now, if God judged sin and sent his own son to the cross to pay for our sin and die a horrible death, If God did that, what's he going to do to people who have turned their back on him day after day? That's Peter's argument. And he says, your suffering should be a reminder that God does not tolerate sin. And he will judge it here, now, and forever. And that's his argument. And notice what he says. And then he quotes from this. He said, And what will be the outcome of those who don't obey the gospel? It's hard for the righteous to be saved. What will become of the ungodly and sinner? If, God, if, if we have difficulty and struggle and suffering in our life because of sin, what's going to happen to a person who has pushed God aside and sinned and said, I don't need God? What's his fate? And that's what Peter argues. He said, look, I get you're going through a difficult time but you're not going through anything compared to what those people are going to have to go through who have turned their back on him. And then he finishes it up this way. He says, so then, those who suffer according to God's will should, what's the next word? Commit. Very important word. You know why? What's the last thing Jesus said before they put him in the tomb?" Into thy hands I commit or commend my spirit. Same word. Peter has come full circle now to say this. Again, he's just talked about God judging sin. And the unsaved and the righteous as well. And notice what he says. He says, listen, if you suffer according to God's will, commit yourself to a faithful God. In the same way that Jesus said, God, I'm coming to this earth to do your will, not my will. I will die on the cross. I will pay the price. Father, not my will, but your will be done. Father, at the end of his work, at the end of his finished work, he says, Father, into thy hands I commend, I commit my life. I have done what you have asked me to do. And Peter says, in the same way that Jesus did that, you need to commit your lives to finish the task God calls you to. And he's telling these people, and if that means you go to the lion's den, if that means that you go into the theater, if that means you're a human torch in Nero's garden, if that means that God takes you out and kills you for the cause of Christ, then you commit yourself to finish whatever God's called you to endure for his name. And you continue to do good. He says, he tells these people, don't stop following God with your whole heart, no matter how hard it gets. And he challenges these people to do that. He challenges them. He says, look, don't give up. Continue to do what you're doing. Yet just because it's getting difficult does not mean God's against you. In fact, it means all the more God is for you, and he's right there, and his spirit is hovering over you, and he's, he's, he's got you like he does a little child who's sick close to him. Don't quit. Don't give up. Finish that which God's doing. That's what he's saying. All right, three lessons and we're done. First lesson. First thing I would say is this. Look, don't allow your struggles to surprise you. Realize that when you go into the work this week, There are people who don't like you. Some of them don't like you because they don't like anybody. Mm -hmm. Some of them don't like you because you're different. I hope they don't like you because you're obnoxious and mean and cruel and those kinds of things. But if you're following Christ and you're doing what you're supposed to do, don't let it surprise you that they don't like that. Don't let it surprise you that you have difficulty with your finances. Just because you're a follower of Christ doesn't mean that God dropped a big bag of gold into your, oh, you're going to follow me. Oh, good, I'm just going to bless your socks off. <laughs> believe me. I would, listen, if I could go there theologically, you have no idea how much I want to go there theologically. I just can't do it, okay? I don't think the Bible goes there. But I do believe that God teaches very clearly, you honor me, I honor you. Maybe not in this world, but I guarantee you in the world to come. And I challenge you for the idea that when difficulty comes, when hardship comes, to really understand, don't let it take you by surprise, it's okay. And just like that mom, that is when you can be closest to God and the Holy Spirit can hover and, and, and come over your life in a way that you cannot explain unless you've experienced it. Second thing, watch how you react. Some of these people started reacting in a wrong way. Somebody was taking something from them and they go and take it back. One writer said it this way. He said, the only accusation that someone needs to be able to make against you in that kind of situation is they're a follower of Jesus Christ. Think about, think about the crucifixion story for a minute. Remember what happened in the garden? They came to take Jesus by night and you remember what happens? Do you remember what, happens? what, what happens in the garden that's unusual? the last healing story by the way in the life of christ yeah whips out a sword they're not going to take my jesus and he starts swinging away now he didn't hit his ear because he was aiming at his ear he was aiming to take off his head but he was really bad with the sword he chopped off his ear and what does jesus do jesus heals him why because jesus wanted everyone to know i didn't forcefully go to the cross I willingly went to the cross. Violence is not going to mar what I am about ready to do. And so Jesus makes a very important statement and says, whoa, 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 that's not the way this is going down, and heals the man's ear, and then willingly walks out. In fact, Jesus' statement to them is, how come you came to me at night? You could have walked up to me when I was in the temple, and I would have just put out my hands and gone with you. Because I know this is all part of the plan and I'm okay with it. This is what I came to do. I'm not going to fight you here. Why? Because, in fact, even the thieves on the cross acknowledge the fact that, you know, we got a right to be up here. What's this guy doing up here? He's done nothing wrong. Even Pilate, the role, even Pilate recognized. I don't get it, guys. He's done nothing wrong. I, we can't find him, Herod. I, we can't find him guilty. I, I can't you 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 brought all this stuff, but I don't see anything worth going across for. Why? Because his life was marked that way, and that's what Peter's saying to us. You be careful how you respond. People are watching. We used to always say this when I work with camp counselors at Christian Camp Wisconsin. Your reactions are showing. That was the illustration the guy used at the conference this weekend. He said, you know what, he said, that's what he he meant by marking your children. He talked about a story where he was supposed to be watching his kids, and his kid, kind of adventurous, had a little airsoft gun that he liked to play with, and so his kid went out and he dug this this hole while his dad was supposed to be watching him. His mom came home and hit the fan and said, have you seen what your son did? And he walked out, and he looked at this hole that was like four feet deep. They had dug by hand. So that his, as, as his friends would come by, he'd jump up out of the hole and shoot them and then go back down. And he had like dug this, and he said it was this massive hole. He said, the first thing I started thinking about was, oh, what man, you know, liability, and, and so he said, so I called my son, and I know I was supposed to yell at him, but I said, Why? And, he, and his kid said, you know what I want to do? And he looked at him and he goes, awesome, whole hole, man. Uh, because he said, I realized I was making a mark on him about what was important, my yard or him. And he said, and I decided at that moment, because he said, I will get back in my life when my dad let us play wiffle ball in our backyard and we tore up the whole yard. And my mom came in and said, and, and she was all concerned about the grass, and my dad in front of us looked at my mom and said, we'll raise grass later, we're raising boys now. And he said, it made a mark on me that followed me, and I'm standing there with my kid, and I'm realizing that that was important. He said, we left that hole. He said, I went to the male guy and said, don't fall into it. We told the neighbors what was going on. He said, we covered ourselves, but he said, our goal was, that we wanted to let our kid know that, you know what? We're more concerned about you than we are how our front lawn looks. He said, we are marking our children. And, and, and the thing that I guess I would say to you is to really step back in your life and in this situation and, and, and be careful about retaliating when you're wrong. Really think through, is this gonna, how is this going to reflect long-term on the cause of Jesus Christ? I get that, that that person lies, cheats, and steals and is getting promoted and you're not. I get it. I get that they're telling the boss everything that they do and, and every, everything you do is wrong and I get that, that it looks like in the end they're winning and you're losing. I get it. Don't go there. Trust God with it. And that's what he says at the end. And that's the thing that I, I would just hammer home to is this idea of really learn to trust and depend on God. You trust Him for your salvation. You trust Him for your eternal destiny. Now, you really think that issue that you've got right now, He can't work through or help you with or give you the strength or hover over you in? Sickness, health, finances, work, whatever it is. Really? You don't think He can help you there? As J.B. Phillips once said, your God is way too small then. Because if you haven't read the Bible yet, we serve a really big God. And your God's just way too small. But what's happened is you have focused so much on your situation and your circumstance, you need to realize and lift your head a little bit and start to see there's God. And he can get you there. And he, and he can help you through it. But you've got to look at him and not everything that's going on. And, and that's what Peter's trying to do to these people. And that's why he says, no, you continue to do good. You commit yourself to follow through all the way to the end. So I close with this. Actually, two things of a benediction or an ending. Don't be surprised when difficulty or testing comes. It's an opportunity to draw closer to the heart of God. And he's suffering with you. It's easy to want to retaliate when wrong. But our response is to reflect the character of Christ. Our response should be to glorify him. Let's trust him with everything we have this week. Since St. Patrick's Day, I found an Irish blessing. Here it is. Don't know if it's true or not, but I thought it was cool. May there always be work for your hands to do. May your purse always hold a coin or two. May the sun always shine on your windowpane. May a rainbow be certain to follow every rain. May the hand of a friend always be near you. May God fill your heart with gladness to cheer you. And May you be in heaven a half hour before the devil knows you're dead. Uh, I challenge you this week. Commit yourself to finish strong. And keep continuing to do good. No matter what. Let's pray. Lord, use us, help us, guide us, direct us. God, we've always got stuff that's going on in our lives. We've always got circumstances, situations, difficulties, suffering, hardship, struggles that, Lord, we get so focused on. We walked in here this morning, Lord, thinking about all kinds of things that are weighing heavy on our hearts and lives. And, Lord, you are the answer. You are the solution to every single one of them. But, Lord, we need to commit ourselves to do right no matter what. We need to continue to follow you in spite of a world that's heading in the other direction. So, Lord, you're going to have to hover over us and give us the strength to do that. We're going to have to depend on you more than we did yesterday. So help us to do that. And Lord, may our difficulty, struggling, hardship, may the times that we're going through right now draw us close to you. And Lord, as that sick child holding on to mom, may we be able to feel your warmth, your comfort, your closeness. And Lord, as hard as it will be, may we be able to enjoy and rejoice in those times that we're so close to you. Use us and uh, walk with us through all of it. These things we ask in your name.